You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 612 for March 15th, 2023. On this episode, drummer and composer Toma Fujiwara. Members of the Jazz Session also get this I Dig of You. It's the Patreon bonus show on which I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that's bringing them joy. Toma talks about taking inspiration from Japanese novelist Haruki Murakami. You can hear that bonus episode by becoming a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com join. You'll also get early access to every episode of the Jazz Session, a thank you for me on an episode, and occasional behind-the-scenes info or other bonus material. Toma Fujiwara's latest album, March On, is a direct follow-up to his album, March. Here's a sample. Toma Fujiwara, welcome back to the Jazz Session. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. It's my pleasure. We were uh, talking just before recording, and I was saying to you that you were on, uh, this is your third time, you were on in 2010, you were on in 2012, and now it's 2023, and as I said to you before we started recording, that's nothing that you did. I have no idea why you were on once, and then two years later, and then 11 years later, uh, except, you know, I think I'm the problem here, not not you, so I just, just want to make that clear, uh, but I'm super no, happy to have you uh, have you back on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's 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 great to be back and it's all good. As long as I'm back <laughs> at some point, I'm happy. That's great. Well, we're going to talk about a couple of things. Uh the the most recent thing which has just come out um as folks are hearing this is March on, but I don't think we can talk about that without going back uh, at least one record and and honestly we'll probably talk a little bit about going back a couple of records with this band uh, to talk about the the preceding album which is March. Um, that was the second album which featured the band Triple Double, and there was one before it that was named the same as the band. Um, most of the members of this, well, first of all, all the members of this band have been on the jazz session. So uh, when we get to the point where we say all their names, if folks want to hear more, they've all got at least one and in several cases, multiple interviews in the archives. Most of the members of this band play together in various combinations in other groups. 
Uh, so I'm really interested just uh, to go back to the start of Triple Double. Just tell me about putting this band together, how you decided to do it, and, and who's in it. So the band is myself and Gerald Cleaver on drums, Mary Halverson and Brandon Seabrook playing guitar, and Ralph Alessi and Taylor Hobinum playing trumpet and cornet, respectively. I had started a trio with Ralph and Brandon. They were two musicians that I had known for a little bit about a little bit of time and hadn't really played much, if at all, with them. And so and they had actually never played together. Um, so I decided to put together a trio. This is maybe 20, hmm, 2015 or so. Um, put together a trio with, with Ralph and Brandon. Obviously, a lot of new sounds for the three of us, uh, being a new combination, and that was really fun to explore. We did a live album at Barbez um, featuring my compositions, and that was, that was a lot of fun. So we were doing some gigs, and I wanted to continue playing music with them. I was also thinking about a uh, more a slightly larger ensemble. And at that time I knew I really wanted to include both Mary and Taylor. They're probably the two musicians that I've played with the most in my life. And I had been working, I still do, but at that time I had been working a lot with both of them as band leaders. And so I wanted to kind of flip the script or reciprocate and uh, have them be a part of a band that I was going to lead and music that I was going to write. And Gerald was someone that I was a, a friend and someone who I always loved to hear. And um, I thought that this would be a great opportunity to play with him as well. And actually the instrumentation in terms of the three duos or the two trios really was not my guiding principle in putting together this ensemble. It was really kind of the specific connections with the various people and wanting to do something that included them. And the instrumentation came, the specific instrumentation came more into focus as I was deciding who I wanted to work with on my next project. That's how Triple Double came together. And, you know, in some ways, six people doesn't seem like that many, but, uh, and I Googled this because I'm not good at math, there are 64 ways to put together six musicians, and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a listen to, to the Triple Double album or to March, or we'll uh, get into it with March On, shows that you use a lot of those combinations uh, throughout the course of this music. It's not just all six people playing all the time. And so I'm, I'd love to hear about the process of arranging for the band and figuring out how to put these really distinct voices together. 
actually in my notebook that's kind of dedicated to this group where I write down ideas and sketches of tunes and really any, any thoughts related to this group, I wrote out, I don't think it was all 64, but it was pretty close to all the different combinations. Oh, wow. Because, because for me seeing the names, like rather than seeing them as numbers or even seeing them as instruments, but seeing the names of the six of us in these different, um, configurations was very sonically evocative to me as I was writing and arranging. Um, and so that was, that was an important part of the process for me in, in writing that out when I was working on music for the first triple double album and kind of referencing it over the years as I continued to write music and even rearrange stuff or arrange things differently for different live performances, but kind of seeing those names scrambled up from six soloists to the full sextet was really helpful in the arrangement process. So I definitely, I definitely thought about it that way. I definitely thought about the individual personalities within the group. Um, and then a lot of the stuff that you would commonly find as, arrangement priorities in terms of blend in terms of giving people kind of foreground middle ground and background um roles in different uh compositions obviously leaving space for various improvisatory moments and um and really thinking about both people's strengths or what i might think of as their strengths and then also thinking about ways of pushing people outside of their comfort zones or outside of maybe some of the things that they, that we all rely on or default to sometimes without even being conscious of it when we play and trying to challenge myself and the other five musicians to, to get outside of, uh, of some of those, I don't want to call them comfort zones, but you know, as you, as you, play music over the years you develop things that you return to or things that feel comfortable or things that feel personal to you so kind of finding that balance of really celebrating those things and using those things in the context of the ensemble and then also kind of shaking it up a little bit as well when you're talking about these uh, and i'm just going to keep using the term comfort zones and i think we all are comfortable enough with what we roughly mean by that that it's okay um when mm -hmm. when you're talking about these comfort zones are you talking about a, a general sense of things musicians fall back on or are you saying for each of the members of the band i kind of know like what their bailiwick is and i in addition to serving that i also wanted to have them play things that are not part of that are, are you being that specific or are you speaking more generally yeah the latter very specific um, because I think in a general sense, you're talking about musicians that really are very well-rounded and, and can operate in pretty much any zone. So it's more specific to them and specific to really what I observe as their kind of core elements and approaches. And like I said, trying to, trying to really utilize those, those things, but then also kind of push against them a little bit and see what happens. And that clearly points to, as, as you've already alluded to, you need a real level of familiarity with the people that you're playing with 
if that's the mm-hmm. way you're going to write. I mean, you you know, you you can't just do that with a, a pickup band. It's necessary for to sure. really have a pretty intimate feel for how people play. Absolutely, absolutely, and and so even even by the time of writing music for the first album. Um, even if I hadn't played before with Gerald, for example, I had heard him so much live on recordings, hung out with him, talked to him about music, shared music that we were both listening to. And so that doesn't mean that I knew the whole picture because you spend a lifetime getting to know people and people are constantly changing and evolving. But I certainly had um, much more of an idea than just okay, I'm getting another drummer and I'll give them this rhythm or I'll give them this, you know, this passage or whatever. So, and then you take people like Marion Taylor, who I have a ton of experience playing with. I was just that much more familiar with, with the different things that, that they bring to the table and also of ways that I could, you know, like I keep saying, kind of push them out of those comfort zones. But yeah, you couldn't just do it with a pickup band. And that's also, to the point of it not really being about what specific instruments they play in terms of making it work for the ensemble. It's really about how they express themselves. And it just so happened that we ended up with these, these three duos and two trios. You look at, for example, Mary and Brandon who play the same instrument in terms of how they express themselves. It's, they're so different and unique and personal it almost it's almost like they're playing different instruments just because of what what they do with the instrument so it's it's a lot less about kind of like the dueling guitars thing and more about these two personalities that that give the music so much you know such a three-dimensional feeling It's such a great point. There are moments in March, and honestly, I think that maybe even some starker moments in in March on, which we'll get to, where uh, sometimes they were the two of them were playing, and it took me a second to realize, oh, that that's both guitarists. Like, I, you know, it's they just you're right that they are playing physically, you know, the same kind of instrument, uh, you know, a, a piece of wood with strings on it and a fretboard, but the similarities kind of end there. They are just wildly different players, different sounds, different approaches to the instrument. And it's fascinating. And, and it's rare that you get to hear, you know, usually you have to go album to album to make it like kind of an AB comparison, but here you're getting to hear those differences at the exact same moment. And it's great. It's really fascinating. And I think what adds to it is there's so much respect within the group, 
but there's a special connection between the two drummers, the two guitarists, and the two brass players. Um, so you really feel a full commitment to that fellowship and that camaraderie that I think is really great. Not, not that, not that competitiveness can't sometimes yield good results or not that it has to be, not that it always has to be that way. But I do think in the context of, of this group, that connection between the guitars, between the drummers, between the brass, really, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool component to hear in the music and sometimes you can, you can, at least I can listen to the music and maybe the six of us are playing, but I can kind of hear, oh, me and Gerald are really like in, we're, we're kind of in our zone. Like we're, we're kind of, we're part of the group, but we're having also a little side conversation and being like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, what, what are you doing? And then the same thing is with the guitarists. It's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're doing the thing, but we're also, we also have our own like guitar secret society and we're, we're kind of throwing some of that into the mix as well and so there's a real generosity in the music in that way as well that that i'm really thankful for with this group as you mentioned this is a band full of band leaders and it's also a band full of strong composers i'm just curious what that's like working with a a group where everyone you know on their own projects uh, has such a strong compositional sense it's great i think that people can take minimal instructions in terms of arrangements of, of my compositions, uh, you know, I can, I can give minimal instructions and they're going to make strong choices and then also have the flexibility to have a change from performance to performance. Um, and I think that, that a big part of that is, is that everyone has a compositional mind. And I think that, you know, every, everyone is obviously unique and an individual, but what I feel they have in common is a strong sense of self and self-confidence without an ego that kind of imposes, okay, well now, now I got to do my thing just to make sure that everyone knows like I'm here and this is my thing and this is my time to shine with that kind of selflessness. I feel like they all do shine because they're really in the music and they're all such amazing musicians that you can't help but hear their, their kind of full creative powers in the context of the group. So I, I feel like it's a great balance of, of, like you said, the strength of composition and leadership, but really contributing that to the good of, of the group and the sound of the group. Let's take a quick break from the interview so I can remind you about becoming a member. Members of the Jazz Session get a bonus show with each episode. It's called This I Dig of You, and on it, I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that's bringing them joy. Toma, for example, talks about taking inspiration from Japanese novelist Haruki Murakami. You can hear that bonus episode by becoming a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll also get early access to every episode of The Jazz Session. You'll get thanked by me by name on an episode, and you'll get occasional behind-the-scenes info and other bonus shows. On each episode, I'd like to thank three members of my Patreon community. This time around, a tip of the cap to Ken Autry, Sarah Caswell, and Lydia Liebman. I'm so grateful to each of you. Sarah has also been a guest on the show, so make sure to listen to her episode. And don't forget to become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. Now, back to the interview.
what kind of uh, instruction to, to use that word did you bring into the, the session for March? Were, were these you know fully written out parts for everybody with room for improv? Was it sketches? Was it a mix of those things? I'm I'm curious about that. They were pretty. They were fully written uh, parts for everyone. And one device I like to use is the idea of of a free agent within a specific section. So I might give six different parts to people for a specific section, but I'll say to one person, you can, you can really deviate from this. You can even not play it at all if you want, or you can kind of interpret it differently every time because the other five of us are going to more or less stick to the page. So I'll do that sometimes. Obviously, I'll leave space for solos. Solos can happen in any any number of ways. There are some completely open sections. There are some sections over forms. There are some sections where some people are keeping uh, a specific form and other people are free to leave that form and, and return to it when they're ready. So it's it's a you know, it's all these devices that, that we all use when we compose, but it's not some loose sketches and do whatever you want kind of thing. It, they are fully written out compositions that then um, I feel kind of take on life in the, obviously in the performance of the music and then also in some of the arrangement, not even changes, but arrangement options we might have so that in different places within the composition, they can go any number of ways. So we're not playing it the same way every time so that there's a certain flexibility in terms of who's improvising in different parts and who is free to deviate and come back. And then conversely, who is responsible? I've definitely, I definitely will say that where in this section, you need to play exactly what's written and only that because one, I want that to come through or two, that's the glue holding this together, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a, it's a real range of, of arrangement instructions, but I'm never telling anyone, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, cause I know some people that do, but I'm not, I never try to arrange or dictate improvisations. You know, I feel like if I need to tell someone to improvise, but improvise in such a way that it does this or creates this mood or it gets from here to here, then I feel like that's something that I need to compose because at least for me as a band leader, when people improvise, those are the times where I want you to really be free to use or not use the materials that I've composed to go left when I might've thought that right was the way to go. Um, and so so that's something I really try to leave to the musicians that I've chosen to play with and, and trust in them fully. Were any of the tunes on March tunes that you uh, had played live with the band in uh, before the recording? I think two of them we had played various versions of in the tour, in the tour leading up to the sessions. The plan, you know, you have to be, you have to improvise in the music and you have to improvise in life. <laughs> so the plan, the plan leading, uh, leading up to March was to do a tour in Europe to break in this music and then record it. And what happened with the tour with shifting dates and shifting schedules is it wasn't the 
uh, lineup that was going to be on the recording. And rather than make people learn this new music just for a couple gigs and then not do the recording, I thought it would be more fun musically for those gigs to play mostly the older material that everyone was familiar with and have fun with that on the tour we ended up doing with, with uh, some different musicians. I wanted to not just take that as, oh, well, that's a bummer, and now what do we do? I wanted to see how I could kind of capitalize on that creatively. And so I decided to not even send the music in advance of the sessions, but actually just bring the tunes to the session and work through the material in the studio, recorded that whole process, and then just start doing takes. And I think I've, I've mentioned this before when, when talking to people about it, almost in the spirit of, of some of these classic Blue Note and Prestige uh, and Impulse sessions that, that are classic albums that we all love. And when you really do the research on how these things came about, a lot of them, you know, it's a union recording session. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. You show up and someone has some charts and you play them. And those are the classics. First three um, tunes, so lunch. Second three tunes, go home. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I didn't want, you know, it, it, it's interesting when people try to copy the results. You know, they practice and they transcribe and, and all that stuff, and which, which I am 100% in favor of and have and, have and continue to do myself. But there's less attention may be paid to the process when that was a very real part of the process. And so I wanted to embrace kind of the, the situation I was in, the logistics I was dealing with and create something in that spirit and capture people's first impressions of dealing with my compositions and the process of working through that stuff while also knowing that it's being recorded while also knowing that we're working towards a, a, an album that's going to be released. And I think that that infused the music with a different type of energy than if we had rehearsed the stuff a bunch for a week before, or whether we had just gotten off a one month tour with the material and not to say better or worse or otherwise, it's just different. And I'm really happy with the results um, I'm really happy with the music. I can feel that energy in the music of of people engaging with this material for the first time. But to get back to your question, yeah, of the there's seven seven tracks on March. One of them is uh, a duet uh, with me and Gerald, and of the other six compositions, two of them we had played in some gigs before, and the other four people saw them for the first time in the studio. Thank you. 
And so that's kind of a nice segue to March On, which is the most recent uh, record. And March On, uh, uh, it has four tracks, but the the centerpiece of it is a, a fully improvised piece from the session that produced March. Was that uh, was that improvised uh, performance a planned part of the session? Did it did it just happen organically? How did it come to exist at all? I knew I wanted to do a fully improvised piece with this group and I didn't know how I was going to use that material I just knew I wanted for us to do that and to experience that as you said everyone is a band leader everyone is a composer and we all play music that has um, a large a large component of which involved improvisation and also interpretation of composed materials but it is different to completely improvise a piece of music to not have any instructions arrangements composed material to not say anything before to not have any kind of agreed upon game plan to just to just play and i think it's one of those things where you know kind of the cliche is like well so you're just playing? I mean, anyone could do that. We could just get people <laughs> yeah. off the street. And, My and six-year-old could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true in a way, but if you want to do something that's compelling and interesting and personal musically, in some ways there's, there's almost more responsibility, you know, personal responsibility that goes in the, uh, into that process. There's almost more of a sense of composing and arranging and form and structure that goes into that process um, to keep it flowing and not just kind of devolve into, well, we're just playing. We're just sitting here and we can do whatever we want. So everyone's just kind of doing whatever they want and we just are going on and on and on. So, uh, so it was something that I really wanted to do with this group. We had never done it before. I mean, obviously there's sections of the compositions that, are are pretty open but in terms of creating a piece of music from start to finish that was fully improvised we hadn't done that before i wanted to experience that with this ensemble and so we finished recording all the compositions kind of listened back made sure i had everything i wanted and you know did any additional sections that needed tightening up or whatever and then i just told them that i wanted to for all of us to play and so we turned off most of the lights in the studio and just started. It was a little over 30 minutes. And when we were done, didn't, didn't say anything, didn't listen back. Just, we just experienced it together. And I guess in that moment, it was great to experience the music, just the six of us, not thinking about other people listening to it, not even thinking about other people that were in the studio, just, just to kind of do that for the six of us with no agenda beyond that. And then that was it. That was actually the last time that the six of us have been together playing music. That was December 11th, 2019. And that was, that was the last thing we recorded um, for that session. And, you know, I went, went home, brought the music home, mostly focused on the compositions and choosing takes, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then when I got around to listening to the improv, I, um, I guess I had in my head, well, I'll, I'll grab little snippets of it and they might make nice segues in between the compositions. You know, maybe I'll alternate. I don't know, you know, just kind of grab, grab some cool moments. And I listened to the whole thing all the way through for the first time. And I just said to myself, either, either it's all of this as is, or I just, I won't release it. I'll just keep it, you know, share it with the group. We can enjoy it for, for what it was. And that's that, but I didn't want to cut it up. I didn't want to change anything about it or put it out in the world in any form other than exactly how we played it and experienced it. That was a super smart decision as far as, far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I'll tell you the honest truth. I listened to this first without reading the press release. And uh-huh. I could easily have believed if you, if you had said, yeah, this is mostly improvised, but there's you know some clear places where I'm directing the band to do certain things because obviously how else would they have all arrived at these moments together without that? If you had said that's what happened, I would have thought, yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. I, it sounds uh, mostly improvised, but there's parts where you know there's the kind of communication that usually doesn't happen in complete improvisation. And then I read the press release and saw that was exactly wrong, that it was completely improvised. And then I thought, well, that's really what you only can get if not only these kinds of musicians, but musicians who know each other as well as most of the six of you uh, do are playing together. I mean, there's just, there's moments in the improvisation where it's kind of astonishing that it's improvised. And uh, I I mean that as the the highest kind of compliment. Uh, It's just, it's beautiful. I'm so glad we got to hear the whole thing front to back without it being chopped up because those moments when they occur, you know, they're kind of sunlight, uh, breaking through, uh, you know, cloud cover or something. Uh, these mm-hmm. moments where things align, and you don't get that sense of the of those alignments if you haven't heard the more chaotic elements that surround them. So I'm super glad we get to hear the whole thing. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. I, I really appreciate it, and I, I totally agree in terms of you want to hear the the process and not just the kind of artificial arrival points you know you want to hear how we get there and what came right before and what comes afterwards and and yeah i think i think a big part of this is the history within the group i think that i think the history and the camaraderie and the experience the shared experience really comes through in this piece um you know in addition to the the caliber of those musicians the the sense of of composition and arranging and structure and also a very uh, everyone is a very generous listener and very generous about leaving space there's you know there's there's a lot of great music that doesn't leave a lot of space but but i think that space is something that's important to me in music and certainly the less parameters you have on the music and the more musicians you have playing the more space becomes an important tool to utilize and you know you have to utilize it at the right time you can't just say well okay if we're playing for 30 minutes i'll lay out for 15 and then blow my brains out for 15 and (laughs) then i've only played half the time i've been very good about leaving space like well it's not really like a you know like 
I really like the gas tank in the car. Like, okay, the gate, you know, we're, we're, we're this empty. I'll just, I'll just fill it up to here. And, uh, and I've done my part. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you translate that into two people talking to each other, you know, if it's like, if one person speaks for 15 minutes without interruption, the other is completely silent and then they switch roles. That's not really a conversation. That's just two two monologues. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, the album is called March On, uh, the the newest one, and while you certainly could listen to it uh, on its own, I would encourage you, if you've been listening to this interview, you probably already got this idea, but it's they're, re- they're really lovely when paired together, March and March On, because uh, they are kind of different aspects of the same collection of uh, personalities, and you get to hear both um, what Toma conceived of when he wrote compositions for these folks to play, and then also what happens without that guiding hand when these same six people are in a room together having just played those compositions. So I, I highly encourage you to get both albums, uh, listen to them in whichever order, but I think they're really nice, uh, really nice together. Uh, Toma Fujiwara, it's been such a joy to have you back. It will definitely not be 11 years to the next time. Well, first of all, because I'm hedging my bets about even being 11 years from now, still being doing interviews. So I'm going to try and cram people in a lot faster than, uh, than I was. But thanks so much for taking the time. It's really been a joy to have you on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk again, and and I really appreciate speaking to you and and the support of of me and my music. It means a lot. Thank you. Thanks to my guest, Toma Fujiwara. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. Hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or in whichever app you're using to listen. It really helps me reach new people because it rises the show up in the rankings. I think the verb I was looking for there was raises. Eh, English is hard. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. And if you dig what you just heard, become a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.